What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision-making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to Sensorina.com to check it all out. On today's podcast, we're bringing on Allison Lucan. Uh, Allison is a wonderful, wonderful person and great resource in the hockey world. Uh, extremely active on Twitter. Uh, if anyone reaches out to her, she'd be more than happy to point anyone in the right direction. I feel like she's at the center of the web for so many things, especially the analytics community um, and such a leader and visionary. So really excited to have her on. Um, Dan, what'd you take away? Well, first of all, Greg, I'll, I'll point out that I've been following, following Allison's work for the better part of a decade, going back to when she was the writer for the Blue Jackets website. So uh, couldn't agree more with everything that you just said. She's a thought leader in the hockey space, obviously, definitely on the analytics space, too. She's really taken a strong footing in that space. Uh, and I had some time with her at the CBJ Hockey Analytics Community a few years ago or uh, conference a few years ago. And uh, I just think very highly of Allison. So I was thrilled that we could get her on and, and chat for a little bit here today. Absolutely. I mean, we were so high level. Um, there's no way we don't do another one where we can dive into these individual elements. But it just speaks to the breadth of expertise that she's created. Um, and you can definitely tell the humbleness um, and just humility. I think is what you're going for. Humbleness, humility, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> just the ability to to be genuinely curious and genuine in what she does. So excited to release this episode. Yeah. Uh, before we get in, one thing I'll say is I thought the conversation we had about a translator role uh, was something fascinating. I think, you know, Allison is uniquely qualified for something like that. And, and we didn't really get into career goals or anything like that, but I'd be, I would highly endorse her for a role like that. Should that, you know, materialize in the future. Well, I think the uh, Jackets need to hire her as a translator and the hockey IQ people over here at Hockey's Arsenal for the development staff and we'll be one big happy family. That's right. Without further ado, our interview with Allison Lucan. Welcome, Allison. Great to have you on the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me, guys. This should be fun. I'm excited. Uh, nothing like a uh, University of Richmond spider to be on the podcast. <laughs> my, my one true claim to fame right there. That's it. <laughs> Not true, not true. But uh, <laughs> let's let's get right into it. So, for people who don't know your background, maybe uh, how you got into writing for hockey and data, being how you tell your stories specifically, also uh, might be something to, good to lead in for us. <laughs> well, it's a it's a little bit of a of a cliche here and there, but um, I was one of those people, you know. Gosh, it's been quite a few years now back um, where. I was interested in the game. I was paying attention to the Blue Jackets, had just um, more or less moved back to Columbus after living in D.C., where I was um, more actively the team there, obviously, was the Caps. 
um, but was one of those people going to games and said, well, hey, let's blog about this team because everybody has a blog. Um, and that uh, blossomed into some opportunities to eventually get paid to write. Um, very fortunate to have that opportunity. And then um, from there, as I started to dig into preparing to interview players, I realized that I really wanted to understand the how of what they were doing. And I found that current stats were were lacking um, and it was right and coinciding with what was happening with a lot of the data revolution in hockey publicly and uh, started bringing data and, and uh, data-driven storytelling in, into the way I write. Allison, I'm curious, uh, you know, I've heard on other podcasts and, and just from your writing, uh, your passion for leadership, where does that come from? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. You know, it actually comes from my parents. Um, that was something that they always um, fed into me was just thinking about how to be a leader and, and what leadership was all about. And it's not just, you know, maybe the president or an owner of a company um, doing things. My mom was always very focused on giving back and being a civil servant and a servant leader. Um, so it was always a topic that I found really, really compelling that my parents kind of fed. And then I was fortunate enough to be going to college right when the University of Richmond launched their leadership school. It was the first of its kind in the nation that was not tied to a military academy. So I applied to that and got in and, and the rest, they say, is, is history. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. So um, how, how did you reconcile, you know, these like, I don't want to call them soft skills because there's so much that goes into leadership, but. Um, writing about leadership, making it, you know, your degree and uh, your first career. And then, um, like I said, reconciling that with uh, a data-driven storytelling approach. Yeah. So I think that the, what happened is, you know, and it's funny, I wasn't truly being paid to write before I started writing about hockey. Um, I was a consultant, but that did involve a lot of writing of writing proposals, writing findings, writing processes and approaches to solving problems. And I think that that is what translated for me is that the thought process and thinking about how to solve problems and, and a problem can be anything. It can be uh, how does a player do X? How does a team accomplish Y? Or, or how does a team gel from a true team building perspective in a locker room? And so it was really that kind of critical thinking process, as well as the skills of above and beyond, you know, insert tab A to slot B there is a secret sauce. There is an element of culture and leadership and team that really glues everything together. And, and that marriage is what I find really intriguing. And so it, it just flowed really nicely to pull them both together. That's wonderful. And I, I just love how you're so courageous in everything you do. You just seem to just go for it and make it happen. Um, and not, not afraid to ask the dumb questions or just like the beginner questions, not even dumb questions, but beginner questions. Like You said dumb questions. I know I'm terrible, it's all good. Uh, but just like the basic stuff that, that most people just take for granted. And I think it's coming in with those new eyes and that new perspective, and good quality uh, curiosity that, that's so important. So I'm curious on how you approach asking questions and then specifically kind of leading into your article on should we be a lefty or should we be a righty? Because I feel like that's a very early stage hockey decision, but it normally doesn't get that much thought. And I think it should be a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think it is true. I, I never take anything for granted. And I think this is my opinion, but I think that's probably something that helps me 
have sincere conversations with players and coaches is that I, I certainly don't go into any room um, or any office thinking that I know more than any of those individuals who's involved in executing the game. Um, but what I think is imperative for anyone who writes on anything, quite frankly, is to, is to come and prepare and do your homework. So I don't go in to ask a question or to discuss a topic without at least knowing what I think about it, understanding the concepts that I'm exploring, be that a play, be that a statistic, be that a player's history. I want to show whoever I'm asking questions th that I've valued their time and I came in knowing something about what I wanted to talk to them about so that they don't feel like I'm just being asked they're just being asked the same question again and again and again and again with no preparation. You know, I think this is what we saw even with, with in the tennis world lately is it's fine to ask questions, but be prepared. Don't take these athletes and these coaches for granted. Um, so that being said, you know, I think that's what helps me have relationships with players that will lead to really fruitful conversations. And I, and I appreciate their trust in me. Um, I'm not good at my job without their trust and their sharing of knowledge. Um, but that, that's how kind of that, that stick story came to bear is that it, it was one of the few times where I was like, oh, I totally know the answer to this. Um, we were uh, talking about how to play hockey around the rink during a practice, however many years ago, time is a flat circle since COVID, I don't even know. But, um, and someone said, well, what hand goes where? And I thought about how I play the game and I answered based on that. And I was like, clearly this is the right answer for everything. And um, that's when I went into the room and started asking the guys in the room and realized that there were just a ton of different answers, um, that there really is no right answer. And it, those are the kind of stories that are really fun to write, not only because I think they're informational, but I hope that people got a glimpse of what the culture was like in the room at that point. You know, Brandon Dubinsky kind of jawing back and forth and chirping about things I know and don't know. And at the same time, talking about his kid learning how to play and um, then also what was really cool was, again, like I said, I back that always up with as much research as I can do. And that took me down a path to even talk to USA Hockey. And, and what's fun about that story is I actually spoke with Cole Caulfield's dad. Um, it was his it was, it was his D minus one year, I believe, D minus one year. And uh, he, Cole was being offered up as a great example. He and his brother play differently handedness. And so the USA hockey group was like, oh, you should go talk to the Caulfields family. And so I did. And so he was in that story as well. But um, that's how it came to be. And, you know, again, it, it's one of the few times where I did think I knew what I was talking about. And it turned out I had absolutely no clue. And, and that actually makes it fun for me because I, I learned something and I hope that our readers learn something as well. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Oh, sorry, Greg. And uh, it's, it's funny, too, because I think I came into reading that article with my own biases as well. And you know, I think about that all the time now as a coach. Is there is there any other article that comes to mind to you as something that, you know, hindsight being what it is, you're particularly like proud of or something that stands out? Yeah, you know, I the ones that there's a couple, there's a couple different genres. The fun there's the fun stories. Like I love the story of Lucas Sedlak being the fine master and how oh, they yeah, were the fine torts after he wore a hoodie on the bench when he was actually deathly ill, but there we go. Um that was really fun. I love the goal song story. That was the, when we all found out that Vladislav Gavrikov likes Hadaway's What is Love because it sounds like his name. Um, but I think that the most rewarding stories for me and where I think I did some of the best work in terms of serving the hockey community was around the Lightning playoff series um, in 2019. Um, the piece about the forecheck and the piece about the penalty kill from that playoff series are, are probably two of the pieces I'm most 
proud of because it brought together video, it brought together coaches and players insights, it brought together what was actually happening on the ice, what people thought was making a difference, and then we had the data to back it up. So that was a really cool and special time. And, and those are two pieces that I, I love for sure. I'm curious, are, are you a hockey lifer? Or did you get this, get into hockey later in life? Um, do you play? Uh, poorly, <laughs> very, very poorly. I play. Did you um, even play the game? Yeah, exactly. No, I just, I just, I just watch it on spreadsheets. Yeah, That's all I yeah. <laughs> no, I, um, it's funny. So I'm old enough to remember there used to be an ice rink in downtown Columbus. And as a little girl, my dad would take me there and he had hockey skates and I didn't understand why he had these funny skates. Cause as a little girl, I wanted figure skates. That's what I thought, you know, were, were skates. Um, but he had these hockey skates. He had these stories of when he played, there wasn't much hockey around here growing up. I, I was a, a Ohio state football girl. Um, but then as I moved around, started to get more into the game. I mentioned I was in DC, um, was in Tampa for a bit when the lightning had just come there. I worked, I traveled all over for my previous job. And then it was when I came to Columbus that I really connected, um, with the blue jackets started playing and, um, it, it's always been present, but obviously has gotten much more deeply a part of my life over the past gosh, 15 to 20 years, probably. Being someone who's, who's come into playing later in life, I'm always curious about fresh eyes, new perspectives. You know, what, what are some things that you've picked up from that? Um, or, or just things that really stuck out to you now that you're playing on, you know, Sunday nights or whatever it may be? Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple things. I think first and foremost, um, it's a respect for the athlete. Um, I remember learning how to play and just the, the simple act, you know, if you, if you are lucky enough to watch high level hockey on a regular basis, you watch players fall, you watch them pop right back up and to know legitimately what it takes physically, stamina wise, mentally to fall down and pop right back up and everything that's involved in just that, um, it, there's just a tremendous respect for what the athlete actually does on the ice and the complexity of the sport itself. But I think that what I kind of bang my head up against a bit, and I, I'm fortunate to have been able to cover the Ohio State women's team as well, and this has really highlighted this for me, is I don't understand some of the ties to the more archaic parts of the game. Um, and I'm sure some people are going to come after me for this. I, I look, I, I get a physical game. I get enjoying that. I get enjoying a big hit, but I don't understand why we can't appreciate. I mean, the women's game is, is different in its degree of physicality, but there is certainly physicality to it. If you haven't watched a woman's game, you don't understand, but it's true. And to, to think that it, it still has to have these Neanderthal elements to be er, hockey, um, and to, to go away from that and, and to, maybe not necessarily embrace changes readily. Um, that's a little frustrating to me. I think that the game can evolve and innovate and be really amazing, even more amazing. And I think there's just some segments of the hockey community that, that seem to want to fight that and think it's not the game if it evolves. And that's frustrating to me. I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, I mean, yeah, you couldn't have said that better. What's one or two changes that you would love to see if you, you know, if you could just snap your fingers and make those changes immediately? <laughs> um, well, I think that, you know, it, it, this isn't a clean answer, but some of these hits we've seen, some of these really dangerous hits that we've seen, I think it, it has to be addressed. It has to be addressed in the sake of protecting these players' health. Um, the league has told us that that, I mean, 
we get into these semantics of, well, he didn't leave his feet. Well, he did this. Well, he could have done like, there has to be a line that says we have to respect keeping these players healthy. Um, if you've read any of the books about the players that we have lost to CTE, it's harrowing. So I really would like to see a crackdown on some of that play. I think it only, you end up with a Tom Wilson type problem. And I think that's unfortunate because Tom Wilson is a very skilled player and he is allowed to keep this element in his game that I think denigrates his reputation and literally hurts other players. I mean, he, he's broken backs, he's given concussions, it's not okay. Um, what's another rule I'd like to change? Well, while you're thinking about it real quick, sorry yeah. to cut you off. I read Boy on Ice a few yep. years ago, The Life and Death of Derek Bugard by John Branch, the New York Times uh, yep. writer. Yep. That should be mandatory reading for all, I don't know, I, I don't know if it's coaches or what, but like anybody involved in the game from the youth level all the way up because that really, I don't know, I think it changed the way. I'm not, I'm definitely like more on the progressive side, but it still really changed the way I thought about even yeah. physicality in the game. And, and let me add to that too, like, Game Change, um, which is the story of Steve Montador, was, which is written by one of my favorite authors, Ken Dryden, um, will stick with you too. Um, okay. So that's I'll put another, that on the list. That's a that's I, like I said, I spent a summer reading both of those, and it fundamentally changed a lot of what I thought about how we have to handle those situations. You know what? And it's another gray area, like goaltender interference. Come on, people! Like, let's get that wrapped up and under control. We can do better there. I think like, let's just make it a cone, make it really, really clear. You know what else I'd really love to see? And hopefully some of this player and puck tracking will line up. But if you look at advanced analytics, you see that some of this data is just recorded flat out wrong. And we really need clean data to be able to use it to make good decisions. And right now it's not, that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and uh, yeah, that's a perfect transition because I wanted to ask you about your involvement with CBJ Hack a few years ago. Uh, I guess, you know, just vaguely, what was the experience like for you hosting that conference and, and kind of becoming, at least in my eyes, I think you've really become one of the key stakeholders in the, you know, not just analytics space, but really in just like the modern hockey conversations. What was what was that like? Well, that's very kind of you to say I, I only may be that um, because of um, credit to everyone who has come before me and included me and taught me. Um, you know, I think of people like Ryan Stimson, who does the um, Rochester hack and now SAC, now full sports. I think of Sam Ventura and Andrew Thomas, who started War on Ice and now have worked for teams. And, you know, Andrew is responsible for working with the company that's doing all of the puck and player tracking data manipulation for the league. Um, so there are so many people, I'm forgetting people and I'm mortified. Eric Tulski, um, people who, Micah Blake McCurdy, people who have taught me and connected me with people and let me become involved. So that really is what CBJ hack was for me, was it was a celebration of, seeing that community come together, bringing together so many elements of the different events that have happened over the years. Um, Megan Shake is another name I should mention. I, I would, my God, I would kill myself if I didn't mention her. She's done so much for me. Um, but being able to bring those people together, you know, you were part of that, Dan, just being able to share ideas and really set the tone for what at least hockey analytics and that community is about in my mind, which is that it's about learning, it's about innovation, but it's, it's also about inclusivity. 
both from a true diversity perspective and also from a knowledge perspective. Um, we're not just a bunch of nerds who sit around and sneer our noses at people who don't understand maybe things that we think we understand. We want everyone to see what we're doing. And if you're interested in it, we'd love to share more of that with you. We don't want there to be any barriers to anyone and because that's how the best ideas come to be. So um, for me, that's what it was. It was a celebration of, of that, of crystallizing that community and continuing to find great ways to share that kind of information, be it having lightning talks or having you know, a data competition or um, having giveaways or doing panels with people from around the league. Um, so it was, it's something I'm really proud of. I wish that we could have been able to keep that going, but obviously the pandemic has gotten in the way. We'll see if we can right. are able to bring it back. But um, yeah, that's what it was for me. And I, I'm very proud and very thankful and honored to have been a part of it. So I'm curious, and I love all the work and how you bring so many people together, but I'm curious, apart from just being a, a web for so many people, and I mean, tr truly bringing everyone together and then helping them get to where they need to be, you know, what, what's kind of your, your spot or role? Is it just more of like uh, kind of where Ryan Stimson is now, where he kind of facilitates everything? I know uh, you were involved with Hockey Viz in some shape or form. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, I help um, with some of their social and communications type stuff. Um, I also sometimes get to see cool new stuff before it comes out and help bat around ideas of, of the brilliant Michael Blake McCurdy as he develops it. But you know, I think, I think my role is ever changing. I think again, that's kind of why I've evolved what I call myself into a data-driven storyteller. I think there's a real need for that both to the public and within organizations. Um, that's something I've been campaigning for um, it's something I started talking about that now seems to be gaining national attention, which is this idea of a translator, someone who lives within an organization and helps make these concepts fluid to any audience, be they coaches, players, if they're interested, they don't have to be interested, um, data teams, hockey ops, marketing, what have you. Um, and what I think is really important about that kind of a role is that it can be a standalone individual or it can be part of someone else's role. It doesn't have to be independent if there's someone who has those skills. So I'd love to be able to play around with that someday, but I also love just being able to continue to share concepts and insights in the game into players, into plays, using data um, at different outlets, whether it be through spoken word, video, or writing. I've heard you talk about this concept before as almost like a translator. And I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic idea. Uh, I, I guess two, two part question. One is what's holding NHL teams back from implementing somebody like that. And two, and this might be kind of like leading, leading right into that, I guess might be really just one question now that I'm thinking about it, but what, you know, what barriers might that person have or, or what, what can they expect to see, I guess. Yeah, I mean, to be to be honest, I have to blanket this a lot with I don't know all the answers to that question. You know, Arizona um, kind of made a big splash going into this season with um, saying they were hiring st someone sort of into this role, but we don't really know if that's what the role is. I think there are a couple barriers. I think that unless you are, and I don't, I don't know this for a fact, so this is just my opinion uh, across the league, unless you are an organization that values and understands the value of truly effective communication, 
you're not going to make this a priority. And, and I would say that about any organization, be it an insurance company, a bank, a, a professional services firm, McDonald's, um, not just a hockey team, but people have to understand that communication is actually a skill. Um, it comes down to truly understanding the language of your audience, the, uh, however many audiences you have, and being able to effectively not just give them a message, but make sure that message is received, retained, and bought into. So I think unless any organization understands the importance of communication, they're not going to place a priority on this. I would also suggest that historically, hockey organizations have tended to look at the people they know and people who have, quote unquote, been in the game. And these are often people who have been on the playing of the game side. And it is possible that those people aren't always also super skilled in communication. That doesn't mean they couldn't be. It's just not something that they've had to develop. So when a hockey operations executive looks around and says, what do I need and who do I know who can do it? Um, the answers to those questions um, may not lend themselves to the idea of a translator. And if they do, may not lead them to the right person. And I think that the final point is that it really does come down to also still really finding the proper marriage and understanding of how to bring quote unquote analytics into hockey. Um, the data has limited us for quite some time. Again, we hope that this player and puck tracking data can start to change that. But so much of our data isn't really where it should be to do true analysis. So I think that finding organizations that not just embrace the concept, but embrace the need to apply it as successfully as possible is going to lend itself to bring this role in. And that's where I say, I mean, if you look at people who are in that space right now at organizations, I look at the team that Seattle is building, Alex Mandricki, um, Namita Nandamakumar, Danny um, Chu out there. Those are individuals who have the communication skills already baked into their tool set. And so it's possible that they are also the translator, but there are other, maybe other organizations where that's not the case. And so maybe you do need a translator in that situation. Um, but I think that it's a problem that faces a lot of companies, not just hockey teams, not just sports teams. Um, and then once teams see the value in it and buy into wanting it, they're going to have to really challenge themselves to be open-minded and go outside of what's perceived as more traditional hiring practices to find someone who probably would be the best for that role. Wonderful. I think it's important to truly get everyone on the same page there. Go, going back more. Well, hold on, Craig. On that note, though, like I, I almost like I don't I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I kind of have to like I almost don't even think that it's necessarily getting I, I'm not sure that getting everybody on the same page is even like that's like our end goal here. But at this point, it's almost like, you know, we're trying to just get everybody to like speak the same language. You know what for I mean? Sure. Like sure. I don't even, I don't even necessarily think that getting everybody on the same page is the goal. Cause you want to have differences of opinion. And I think that's like a valuable part of an organization, but um, I, I just, I'm sorry. I just wanted to push back on that. Go ahead, Greg. So going back into more um, hockey IQ type stuff, you know, what are some things that you've taken from the analytics community uh, or been big eye openers to you of, become the bedrock of how you view the game and, and what kind of stuff teams should be prioritizing, players should be prioritizing? <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm kind of in this space of total dissatisfaction right now because I think I've come to a place where everything I want information on 
isn't readily available, <laughs> publicly at least. Um, you know, I think about um, a lot of the work I've done on the penalty kill and how so much of the questions that not just the coaching staff and the players were asking, but I was asking, came from information that we don't have um, publicly. Zone time, transitional data, and not just counts, but types of transition. Who was involved? Who were the supporting players? Um, we, we, are, we are at the cusp, I think, I believe, I feel, of kind of the next wave of innovation if we can get the data. Um, I'm starting to be at that place where I feel like all this shot-based data is actually limiting <laughs> and it's, it's not telling us what we really need to know. Um, I hate to even bring this up, but the Seth Jones uh, debate is a perfect example of this. Um, there's something, I'm not saying he's the greatest defenseman of all time, but there's something missing um, with how he's being valued by analytics. I think he should be valued higher. Again, I'm not saying like top 1% elite ever all time, but there's something off. I've talked to some people who have some insight on what mathematically might be happening, given that the majority of his time is with one player and that's so rare. Um, but you know what, there's something missing. We're not capturing everything we should. So, and, and I think that that is where we need to start turning our analysis. And that's how I like to start thinking about the game now is systems-based and the play around getting to the shot. The shot to me at this point, the goal to me at this point is almost secondary. It's really looking, I mean, once you understand, you know, like simple penalty kill standard formations or power play formations, you see them and you, you can't not see them. And so I think really starting to build that familiarity from a systems perspective with forechecking, with transitional play, special teams, face-off formations, seeing the play develop um, before it does, I, I think that's where analysis should go. Um, but again, we just don't have the data yet. And it now whenever I write something with shot-based data, I almost feel like I'm, I'm cheating because I feel like we have so much more we should be able to say about something and we're telling one-tenth of the story. So... That's my, that's my current state. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. So do you think we uh, undervalue passing or overvalue shooting in some shape or form? Well, I think the problem is we, we don't know because we can't measure it, right? Like, can you tell me how many, pa can you find me a public resource right now that tells me how many passes Zach Wierenski made into the neutral zone successfully last season? You can't do it. And if you could, you can't tell me you could do it if you track his team, but you can't tell me where he ranks among all defensemen in the NHL, right? So we- I, I guess I'm not getting so much at the state of the art cutting edge, but more just so in general, right? We, yeah. We've over the past 10 years have made some big influences, um, inferences based off of the data, like, hey, we should pull the goalie in right, a right, minute right. sooner, not wait for a minute, you know, you should do it at two minutes. Just there's some big things that the listeners at home should be thinking about of, you know, these are now obvious to us or obvious with the data we currently have. Yeah, well, I, I, and that's, my theories are somewhat supported by data, but not wholly yet, because again, we don't have it, but I do, yes, I think the challenge, and look, I, if someone just wants to go and watch and cheer a big hit and cheer a big block and cheer a goal, that is amazing and awesome. And I think you should do that. And I think you should enjoy the game exactly how you want. But if you're interested in exploring more, yes, I think taking the play back, I think that the average fan may be undervaluing passing, um, transitional play, 
and we really don't understand how to evaluate defensive play. I think that's something that, because we don't know, like, how do you, how do you talk about preventing something from happening? Right. So I think that that's, that's my Holy grail is really finding a way to fairly understand defense, you know, and I think we've done it to ourselves because if you see a goal highlight, you see the assist, the shot, the goal, right. Or you see the shot and the save. And that could, you need to go all the way back to the breakout pass, right. That fed the skater who got into the zone unmatched and then got the puck past the goaltender. That pass is extremely valuable. We're starting to talk about that, but yeah, I think we should be challenging ourselves to look at the entire chain of events rather than just the final event itself. Right. That makes total sense. Last one for me, Allison, and thanks so much for your time. I'm curious what you think about, you know, we've, we kind of opened up Pandora's box with the Seth Jones thing. And, <laughs> and I'm glad I'm glad you did because I, I, I didn't know if we, we should go there, but I think it's a fascinating uh, conversation. I guess my last question really is, is the debate, I mean, that's really the only word for it, uh, between the, I'm doing air quotes, like yeah. eye tests and analytics people, is this, is this a good thing for hockey? In other words, is the fact that, you know, you have this contentious argument where uh, I guess in hindsight, we'll at least be able to identify who was right and who was wrong or, or at least lesser or more, more so like, is that, is that a good thing or is, are we, you know, just like spinning our wheels here? I think it goes back to my communication point. It's only a good thing if people are actually having the debate instead of just throwing their opinions out and insisting that they are truth. Um, I say this without any agenda. We know this Columbus is not one of the top watched teams in the league. There are not many people who have watched Seth Jones game in and game out. And yet when I see all these people saying what kind of player Seth Jones is, I've only had two people contact me for stories or opinions on before they write up a story on Seth Jones that's data driven, right? So um, are the eye test people talking to the data people and really listening and having a debate and vice versa? I don't think so. And so I think that that is a problem. I had someone, I somehow got tagged on some of these threads and I just, I want to die. But, um, you know, someone was coming back and saying, well, it's because of the way torts, the kind of defenseman torts wants and how he deploys them. And it's, it's, it's all wrong. And I'm like, no, actually torts built the system to match the defenseman he had. So we have people who have made all these assumptions and are not necessarily, look, if you're a data person, you owe it to yourself to inform yourself with your eyes. If you are an eye person, you owe it to yourself to inform yourself with the data period, end of story. Um, if not, you're cheating yourself. You're not doing a comprehensive analysis. I really would love for there to be a debate about this. And some of the people in the community and I have had some conversations about it. Like I mentioned, there's some, some theories that we're trying to bat around of, of what might be going on. But if, if all someone's going to do is say, my numbers tell me this, and I believe this is true, you've shortchanged yourself. And if you're going to say, and the hockey men don't know, now listen, if big hockey NHL network desk guy says Seth Jones is this and has watched Seth Jones play three times. He probably doesn't know either, but are you asking Aaron Portsline what the player can do? Are you asking me what the player can do? Are you asking Dan what the player can do? You need to talk to people who have truly watched the player and talk to people who truly understand the data for this debate to be meaningful. And I really hope that that happens, but I'm not super optimistic about that right now. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Well, Allison, I, I know your time's valuable and you got a million things to do. So I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, Dan, do you have any more follow-ups 
Dan, what do you think about Seth Jones? Oh boy. What do I think about Seth Jones? Um, backwards. Yeah. Right. No, I, I think that he, I think the, well, I think the blue jackets should trade him while the, the timing is right. Um, but I wish that they would have pulled the court on this a year ago. Uh, I, I think that we're probably, like you said, I think we're somewhere in the middle where I don't think he's the best defenseman in the NHL. I think he's much better than um, some models purport him to be. Yeah. Um, but, but I also don't think that, that I'm really saying anything bold by saying that, you know? Yeah. Well, but I think, I think some people, some of the, some models have him so low. Right. And yeah, I'm with you. I just wish people would realize that it, he might be better. Again, he's not, and I don't even know who I want to say is the best defenseman in the league, but he's also not as bad as some of these models are saying. It's just, it's just not possible. Right. There's some nuance that's needed, which is difficult on Twitter. <laughs> but, but again, this data, I mean, I, look, I believe and trust so many people in this community and their work, and I use it all the time. And that's why I want this debate to happen because I believe it. So if yeah. I, if stuff I believe is saying this, I need to understand what's wrong here. What's the disconnect? And it could be on both sides. Who knows? I think it would be fascinating to know if you took a poll of the 32 NHL GMs, what they felt his value was, because part of me thinks that it would run the gamut. But honestly, I bet I, I bet that the NHL's perception of Jones is, is much higher than the analytics consensus right now. Yeah, for sure. Agree. hundred percent. Okay. <laughs> Oh, that's for Greg. Allison, we can't thank you enough for coming on. We really appreciate it. All right, one it. last thing. I want to say, yeah. why is Columbus the greatest NHL town? Who should come to Columbus and why should they come to Columbus? Well, here's the thing. I don't think Columbus is the greatest NHL town, but I think Columbus is a great town. Just like every NHL town has something to offer. I think if people think that I'm tired of the city being the debate, I think that we're past that and we need to look deeper and find out what about being here in Columbus, doing your job the way you're doing it is making it attractive or not attractive to stay. Couldn't have said it better myself. Awesome. Thanks again, Allison. <laughs> we really, we really appreciate you coming on. Greg had to go run, I guess. So uh, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for having me guys. You guys take care. Thank you for tuning into the hockey IQ podcast. We are hockey's arsenal. Greg Revac and Dan Ducart. Together, we've come together to create a platform and a community to expand on hockey intelligence, hockey IQ, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're very passionate about seeing this game played smarter and better to, to develop itself uh, to the next level and staying on the cutting edge of things. So you can find us at Hockey's Arsenal on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We're also at hockeysarsenal.com. Uh, you, from there, you can find some resources and some options to work with us. We're excited to continue this. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, follow, and share. Uh, you can also join up for our newsletter as well, where we're going to tackle anything Hockey IQ related. So we're excited to have everyone here and continue to build. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. 
Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch a Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.